Blog Talk Radio. and around the world, streaming live on the internet, it's Real Estate Coaching Radio, bringing you the latest news, interviews, and secrets of the top producers. Hosted by award-winning real estate coaches, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio, and hey, happy Cinco de Mayo for all of you who celebrate uh, today. And uh, guys, listen, we are really looking forward to today's radio show. This topic today is in response to a lot of the free coaching calls that we've been doing lately. A lot of you guys are confused about what we're going to be discussing today, and I think it's causing some of you to freeze up when you could be taking action and becoming listing agents. And the topic of today's call is really how to know and how to drill down on the motivation of your sellers. Now, a lot of you are confused about that, and we're going to give you a very simple formula so you can, frankly, avoid the sellers that are going to waste your time. And as always, of course, guys, this is your only source for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. And, I, you know, it's funny uh, we say that, and I know it raises eyebrows, because a lot of people are saying, well, Tim, there's still a lot of distressed real estate in my market, or, you know, things are this or things are that. Yes, of course, guys, I know there's lots of consternation in the market. That's to be expected. We're at the very beginning stages of what's going to be a real estate boom. So imagine if you were, you know, let's say back in 2000, 2001, and you knew for sure that the market that was coming was going to be that real estate boom that unfortunately ended in a bust when the bubble burst. Well, so what would you have done differently then? That's a question I always like to ask all of you because it sets the stage for you to opening your minds and actually doing some learning and benefiting from our radio uh, show today and obviously from free coaching calls for those of you who are bold enough to go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com and request a coaching call. So, Julie, I know you've been on coaching calls today. Mm -hmm. It's Monday, of course. It's Cinco de Mayo. Can you share with some of the listeners some of the topics that folks have been really um, drilling down on on your free coaching calls or your normal paid clients? Yeah, you got it. And I would say that on both free coaching calls as well as my private coaching calls with our one-on-one students, it's been an interesting uh, theme, which is anything from over-pre-qualifying. In other words, sometimes I sense that agents are looking for reasons not to work with someone, so much so that they make stories up in their head before getting the facts. Okay, so that's sort of one flavor of this. the second flavor still related to the idea of pre-qualifying is, uh, you know, a lot of sellers being excited about the market are maybe mentally overvaluing their house and putting a higher price. So uh, do you believe them? How do you handle a seller that presents as a, quote, overpriced listing? What questions do you ask? Are you actually using a pre-qualification script? All these things are related, of course. And then that leads to things like, Uh, remembering to ask, even though it looks and smells and seems like a buyer lead, ask things like, which home in the area do you already own? So this is all kind of like um, lead conversion and pre-qualifying all mixed up into one. And what I see is agents either listing things that are not going to sell because they didn't ask questions or even worse, not listing what they should list because they over-pre-qualify because they're looking for so much trouble. Does that make sense? 
So we're going to drill down on that on today's radio show. I mean, Julie just kind of did a brush over of the uh, the focus of today's call. So, guys, I want all of you to a- ask yourselves, how many of you are listing homes as a regular course in your business? In other words, every day or maybe at least maybe several times a week you're taking a listing. Or how many of you are still fearful of becoming listing agents and you're still focusing your best energies every single day on being buyer's agents? So here's the thing. We are shifting from a market that is going to be dominated by, oh, I think, buying buyer leads. And there's also this big, I think it's going to be a very short-lived trend about, you know, buying buyer leads and having a bunch of buyer agents work for you and giving the buyer leads out. All these types of things, guys, they're going to go by the wayside because the market is definitely going to migrate towards the agents who've learned how to be listing agents. There is still time for that. But you're going to see towards the end of this year, and we've seen this happen before in other major shifts in the marketplace, that in a, in a time of flux and change like we're experiencing now, where agents are really kind of trying to search for where their niche is going to be, because everyone should have a niche, and we absolutely positively want your niche to be two things. Ready for it? Well, really three things. Number one, learning how to be a listing agent. Number two, really knowing how to be of service to other folks, because that is the highest and best use of any of us in this profession. And number three, we want your niche to be profit. That's right. Run your business with profit as the first primary line item when you're deciding where to spend your money. So those three concepts really drive a lot of the decision-making that hopefully a lot of you are going to be using as you move your businesses forward. What's going to happen towards the end of this year is you're going to see more listings come for sale, more expireds, more for sale by owners, more con- new construction, more uh, everything, basically. The inventory will increase. everywhere. Provided you've learned how to, learned how to be a listing agent. Right. See, that's really what the point of, all, of, of any successful real estate practitioner's business should be, to be a listing agent. So we're going to take a short break, and of course I'm going to take my, uh, the opportunity to make myself some of my daily radio show green tea. And when we come back, Julie and I are going to give you a very simple formula, very simple rules that you need to memorize, maybe even tattoo on your brain, so you know you're making sure you're focusing on what are the best opportunities for you moving forward with learning how to be a listing agent. So a quick break, and when we come back, Of course, we're going to be focusing on, frankly, how to determine if a seller has to sell or wants to sell. So take notes, and we'll be right back. Is coaching right for you? And how can I guarantee it will work for me? Chances are you are asking yourself those questions right now. I'll answer those critical questions for you in just a moment. But first, let's be honest about something you may have always suspected. You've probably always known that the nation's top 1% of realtors, you know, those millionaire agents you see on TV, they possess a secret knowledge that the other 99% of agents do not have. Where did they learn what they know? And more importantly, how did they learn how to put this closely guarded information into money-making action? It's simple. They have a coach. Not just any coach. The nation's mega millions, top 1% of the realtors know that in order to maintain their almost unfair advantage, that they must have their own personal coach, a proven, market-tested coach who has truly walked in their shoes, a coach who has worked with many of the nation's leading agents. At this point, you're probably ready to maybe try coaching. However, you don't want to be unfairly locked into a long-term ball and chain that coaching contracts can give you. 
it just makes sense that you should be able to try it before you buy it. Even more importantly, you want to have a coach who is the best of the best, not someone who is simply assigned to you or, even worse, has never sold real estate. Can you imagine? If this is you, I have something for you right now that is exactly what you have been looking for. For the next 48 hours, Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching is offering you a free coaching call. This is a real coaching call with a real Tim and Julie Harris coach. Now, while you are thinking about it, why don't you visit us online at freecoachingcallsforagents.com to get started. Once again, that is freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Now, let's be clear. This exclusive coaching opportunity is only available for the first 50 realtors who are stone-cold serious about their real estate business and know that in order to succeed at the highest level, they must hire a coach. So don't wait any longer. Take action now and visit us again at freecoachingcallsforagents.com to schedule your free coaching call. Again, that's freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Thanks so much. See you all soon. Okay, we are back. So, Julie, how does a coach, a coaching client or a realtor, how do they really know whether a listing is really, frankly, worth pursuing or not? That's really the big question. So I'm going to kind of bottom line a couple points for you guys. <clears throat> if you're getting started and you're learning how to be a listing agent, the mistake that a lot of agents make, and I mean this is a mistake agents make in general, but especially new agents, is they overqualify. And Julie was talking about that a second ago. Overqualification is simply basically you looking for excuses not to list the house, and so you essentially overqualify them. You ask, frankly, questions that really aren't designed to help move that client forward, aren't designed to help get that property sold. They're more designed to give you an excuse not to learn how to be a listing agent. So for those of you who are, uh, have a tendency to run off potential sellers, you might want to really ask yourself if you're overqualifying, because as someone who's learning how to be a listing agent, as your coach, I would rather have you list a house for a seller that's mildly motivated than not list a house at all. So that's just something worth saying. Now, what's the difference between a have-to and a want-to seller? For those of you who have had listings in the past, which is a great majority of you, especially our coaching clients who are listing and oftentimes you know, 20 to 30 houses a month, you guys know this. Look back at your past, say, 10 listings that have closed and ask yourself what the motivation was for every one of those sellers. Did those sellers have to sell or want to sell? And you're going to find 99% of the time that the bottom line is, is the sellers that actually listed and sold, not just listed, were the ones that had to sell. There's an important caveat there, Julie. Listed and sold is different Great. than listed, right? Very different. That. And I would even add, Tim, that not just listed and sold, but also were generally a pleasure to work with, were coachable, they would, you know, fix the feedback items. They were just a lot easier transaction, generally speaking. That's right. They're motivated. So here are the questions to ask a seller, and here's your simple formula. Ready? It's a complicated question. Hopefully you guys got lots of paper to write this question down. Of course, you know I'm kidding. Mr. Seller, do you have to sell this house, or do you want to sell this house? <laughs> That's it. Or they'll say, I will sell if I can get my price. Or they'll say, I'll sell if, you know, pigs fly or whatever it is. The, versus a seller right. that has to sell. 
And, you know, this is something that we say here at, at the university that really, I think, cuts through even to a greater extent. If the decision to sell the house is no longer in the hands of the seller, their situation is dictating that they sell the property, then that is a fantastic listing. So, Julie, what would be some examples of some have-to-sell have sellers, yeah. not some one I would seller? say, yeah, to your point, if it's no longer up to them, that's one of your major criteria. It's not in their hands anymore. So, for example, relocation. If you want to keep your job, you will be moving from San Francisco to Atlanta. No longer up to you, assuming you want to keep your job. So that's someone who has to sell, and even then I would ask to make sure. So keeping the house is not an option for you. Um, but you know, relocation, divorce, particularly if the divorce decree calls for the sale of the home. Whether they're a short sale or not doesn't matter. The house has to sell. Uh, let's see, distressed. So haven't made a payment. I heard somebody yesterday, uh, they had a client that had not made a payment in six years. So <laughs> catching that up, probably not going to happen. So it's no longer up to them, meaning they're either going to short sell or walk away and be foreclosed on, but the house is going to sell. So the way I look at it and the way I, I've been coaching it is if they have to sell, meaning there will be a commission made by someone who is helping them sell, you have to take the listing, keeping it well, simple. Well, so Julie's rolling into lead follow-up, and that's true. So, But staying focused on the difference between the have to sell and the want to sell, you know, to emphasize the point that she made, when you find a have to sell seller, you have to list it. And the lead follow-up rule is there's no, there's no limit to the number of contacts. A contact is a phone conversation or a face-to-face -face conversation. A contact, by our definition, is not an email. And there is no rule. There's no seven calls. There is no, none of that Mickey Mouse. Here's the bottom line. If they have to sell, you have to uh, stay in contact with them until one of two things happens. They list with you or somebody else, and it better be you, or they file a restraining order against you because you've been so aggressive with your lead follow-up. Now, of course, we're joking, but the real bottom line here is, and hopefully all of you are getting this, that when you have a have-to-sell motivated seller, there is no such thing as over-communicating with them. There is no such thing as being perceived as being too pushy. That's another thing that we deal with a lot on our free coaching calls and with our existing clients. I don't want to be seen as too pushy. If you feel like you're being too pushy with a motivated seller and you know you are making yourself uncomfortable, that is probably an indication that you're just starting to be pushy enough. In other words, you're just starting to basically be aggressive enough for that seller to want to hire you. Remember, a seller is going to maybe even subconsciously choose the agent who they feel is going to get them the highest price and the best terms. If you are a wet noodle with regards to your follow-up and your aggressiveness, subconsciously you're telling them that you are going to be a poor listing agent. But in the occasional situation where you get feedback that you might be too pushy, or maybe you're making yourself uncomfortable, that sometimes happens, you can simply say, Mr. Seller, I apologize if I might be coming off as too pushy. But the fact is, is in this market, it's imperative that you get the house listed, and I'm confident that I can get, you this, uh, get this house sold for you for the highest price and the best terms. I'm just very motivated and excited to get started working for you. So say something like that, yeah. turn it around on them, and they will be impressed by that. Again, well, the interesting gonna... thing is, though, Tim, you know, the ones that need you the most generally don't perceive you as being pushy. They're generally responsive. That is the rule. That is the bottom line. You know, they're, they're expecting you. you to follow up. <laughs> Sellers will you. choose you or not choose you based on your aggression or whatever word you want to be, your doggedness or your uh, 
follow through. Pick whatever word makes you comfortable, okay? But they will determine who they're going to interview by uh, subconsciously, I think, in many cases. They're not like running a little game to see who does the best lead follow-up. But they are keeping track to see how how on the ball you are. Because if you aren't even aggressive about getting the listing appointment scheduled, let alone following up the listing if you don't list it while you're there, you're telling them that, hey, you know what, I'm not going to be very good at even getting your house sold. Whereas so many of you are saying, I don't want to be being perceived as pushy. I don't want to be pushy to these sellers. I don't want to this. That has nothing to do with the seller. That has to do with you. That has to do with you protecting yourself from feeling like you're being too pushy, not in the minds of the seller. I Just experiment with this. Next time you have a seller that has to sell, try to be too pushy. Just try. I challenge you. I challenge you to be so aggressive trying to get that listing that the seller actually says, I'm not going to list with you because you are too pushy. You know why I know I'll win? Because that has never happened in the history of most realtors' careers. This never happens. You just, again, you're just starting to do your job when you are feeling that internal feeling that I'm being too aggressive. That is called doing your job. That is called doing what the seller expects you to do. Now, have to sell versus want to sell. There are some, I would call them, want to sells that are probably marginally motivated enough to fall into the category of the want to sells. And those are going to be people like the move ups or the move downs. Now, the move downs are always going to be harder than the move ups because the move downs are going to be less excited than the move ups. As simple as that. It's all right. about emotion. They're giving something up instead of gaining something in most cases. That's right. They're giving up space or neighborhood or amenities. So I would agree with that. You know, that's not to say that it won't ever sell, but yeah, if you could choose, you want to go move up. And now the uh, next huge market shifting wave that we're all going to be experiencing, at least in most of the country, is going to be the huge amount of new construction. That is going to create, mm-hmm. in many cases, a move up market and a lot of first time buyers, depending on where you are in the country. So there are going to be a lot of sellers that are going to be selling out of their used homes and going to be purchasing new homes. Now those sellers are, by definition, not a have to until they're facing down the double payment of having to move, uh, having to make you know payments on the new houses and the old one, things of that nature. Those sellers in particular are going to be hard to motivate until they're actually you know 60 to 90, maybe 120 days away from completion of their new home. So for situations like that, because I'm thinking of all of you guys in Texas, frankly, you're going to have to be starting to create a plan B for that seller, and that would be in the form of, unfortunately, moving twice. So be thinking about this. As you talk to more and more sellers this spring into the summer, you're going to be running into more and more different situations. And so you have to be a little bit versatile in the options that you present to them. The, you know, a lot of you have been spoiled for so long dealing with uh, short sales and dealing with REOs and dealing with these sellers that you know, they're going to go to be tenants after the house sold. Now you're going to be dealing with people that are going to be concerned about what their transition process is going to be. Now, another suggestion for all of you especially those of you that we coach in Manhattan and those of you we coach in L.A. and those of you we coach in Seattle, we are dealing with multi-million dollar properties. You're going to run into sellers that want to move up and don't have to sell because they have the financial wherefore-all to easily accomplish both purchases without having to sell anything. They will tell you that they'll, they're considering leasing. Now, obviously, leasing is not as financially beneficial to you as selling it would be, but don't make the mistake of telling them not to lease it because then you're just self-serving and they're going to know it. 
They're going to know you're looking out for your best interest, not theirs. So when you run into a seller who has an expensive home, whatever that is by definition in your market, and they say, I want to lease it, you simply say, Mr. Seller, leasing might be the best thing for you. You know, the fact is there are a lot of tenants, a lot of renters out there that are looking for great houses like yours. But let's do this. But let's do this. Say, it might be looking for great homes like yours, so let's do this. Let's put your house for lease at the same time we have it for sale. Whichever way it goes first is the way, you know, it goes. And in most cases, what you're going to find, assuming you price the property correctly, is that you will get enough buyer activity that sellers will be encouraged to focus on getting the house sold opposed to getting it leased. But... If they decide to lease the property, if that's the way it goes first, you manage it. Not a big deal. You're dealing with a high-end tenant on a high-end property. If you want to learn more about property management, obviously, request a free coaching call, free coaching calls for agents.com. You manage it, and usually after a year or so, you'll find that most of those high-end uh, reluctant landlords, if you want to call them that, will be indeed ready to list their homes. So you need to be marketing to the world depending on your market that you're Bill and Betty Smith real estate and management, not just real estate, letting them know that they have the option of also leasing the property with you. When you're dealing with some of these for sale by owners, when you're dealing with some of these expires that are telling you that they might just lease it opposed to selling it, you have to be able to say, no problem, I can handle that end of the business as well. So, Julie, when you're trying to get this message about the have-to versus the want-to into the heads of especially some of our newer coaching clients, you know, and a lot of you are getting back in the real estate industry, which is exciting, what are the, what are the challenges that they have with this concept? Why is it that some agents struggle with this, what I think is a very basic concept? Well, I think the underlying issue is they have some kind of insecurity or lack of confidence on the listing presentation itself, so that causes them to either consciously or subconsciously look for reasons that it doesn't fit into their very overly specific criteria. Like, you know, if the seller's not begging you to put your sign in the yard and price it exactly where you feel like it, that they might not be worthy of you going over. <laughs> and so I think it's an underlying issue of maybe insecurity about pricing. About I have agents tell me all the time I would take more listings, but I don't know what to do with them if they don't sell right away. So <laughs> like, like it's, you know, yep. because that's sort of been the way for a while. Um, I had somebody tell me today that she had six listing leads, but they were all overpriced, and that's why she hadn't listed them yet. So I asked her, that's interesting, how did the sellers arrive at, quote, their price? Because sometimes when you ask, instead of arguing with them and say, you know, you know it's supposed to be 220 but they want 250 250 that's interesting, how did you arrive at that price? Because half the time they're just using their neighbor's house as a comp, not knowing that it matters that their neighbor's house is a four-bedroom and theirs was a three-bedroom. So it could be overpricing out of ignorance. I remember you and I had a listing once where he said, well, it's because I want to get this for the house and pay cash for a new Lexus convertible. To which we had to explain that the buyer only wanted the house, not the house and financing his car for him. But we took that listing because ultimately we asked more questions, and the rest of the story was, he was relocating and eventually would have to sell. He eventually did price it correctly, and we eventually did sell it. So I think a and lot no, of agents don't get, dig no, deep enough. no, he didn't get his Lexus. No, right? <laughs> he did not yeah. get his bonus Lexus. <laughs> yeah. No, but you know, you can't blame him for asking, right? So well, I think they so, don't I dig mean, deep enough because they hear overpriced and then like something shuts down. Oh, my gosh, I don't want an overpriced listing, so I'm going to walk away. 
Okay, so let's go back to this topic of overqualifying. And this is another thing that you guys will run into, and, and we're going to give you permission to do some things that are a little bit unconventional. Okay, here's permission number one. If you run into a seller that has to sell, and hopefully now you're clearing your head what that means, do not lose it over price. Okay? I mean, Julie was just giving you an example of overpricing and what to do with an overpriced listing, but we're also here to tell you that when you get a seller that has to sell and they're being a little bit, I don't know, uh, their eyes are bigger than you know their hopes and dreams and their Lexus desires are, I think, a little bit more uh, greedy maybe is the word, <laughs> then right. really the market will uh, pay. We'll, we'll call them hopeful. Take the listing. <laughs> yeah. Take the listing. But the, you said the key thing, though. If they have to sell, take the listing. Right. If, if they have high in the over- sky price but they don't have to, then you can walk away. But if they have to sell, you have to take the listing. If you list a seller that wants to sell overpriced, they'll never give you a price change. Or if they do, it'll be a meaningless price change that will yeah. result in you having wasted a bunch of time and money. If you list a have-to-sell seller who is uh, overpriced, and you, or basically if you don't list it at the seller's price, you don't take the listing, list it at the seller's price, take the listing, but then disclose to the seller, and you can use a script like this, and we obviously have dozens and dozens of scripts that you can use also, request a free coaching call to learn more about those, but the script works basically, Mr. Seller, listen, I definitely appreciate the fact that you, know, you think your house is worth $1.3 million, even though the market might be telling us it's worth closer to a million. It's a fantastic house, and you're right, your view and your finishes really are above average, no doubt. And in this marketplace, Mr. Seller, I don't think it makes any sense for us to do anything other than going for the higher price. But let's be in agreement that after two weeks or ten showings, whichever comes first, if the if we don't have a written offer from a real buyer, then we have to reposition the house in the market to more correctly reflect the buyer's expectations. So, Mr. Seller, let's go ahead and get the house listed now. And then after two weeks or ten showings, if we don't have a real written offer, then we will reposition so we can be in alignment with what the buyers are willing to pay. Make sense? Perfect sign here. That's it. The point is, is I don't want you guys going out there and overpricing and then under-delivering on listings. If the seller is pressing you on price, because usually another agent told them a higher number, right? That's how the scenario typically happens. Another agent told them a higher number, but they had to sell. You don't lose it over price. Don't walk away from a listing or lose a listing because the seller wouldn't list it at your price. That's just stupid. Take the listing at the higher price and just be super honest with the seller. You know that maybe, hey, by the way, guys, haven't you all been in a situation before where a house has actually sold for more than what maybe the comps would have told <laughs> us it should have? That's yeah, it could happen. Right. So you and but, your crappy CMAs yeah. and, and your well-done research might yeah. not really be a represent- representative of what the current buyers are willing to pay. The market could have shifted since the co- the comps that you used in your CMA. So it's you know it's possible that you could be depending on your market off mm-hmm. by ten or twenty percent, and still the property will appraise. Well, Both particularly you if you're the only one on the market and you have very little competition, and you're in a hot you know neighborhood or school district or something like that. There are other factors at play here. So this is when we say don't over-qualify or over-pre-qualify. You know, it could happen that it goes for more. You know, Tim, I remember lots of examples where people's homes had expired because they were overpriced, and you asked them, you know, how did they arrive at their price? They said, well, they're in the middle of building a new house. It's six months out, and they didn't want it to sell so fast. 
Well, That's it's right. eventually going to have to sell if they don't want to have two houses at once. So remember, the key to happiness as a listing agent is being the one who has the listing when it closes. And always, always, this seems like common sense, but always, always, always do what's best for the seller. So some of you guys need to expand your thinking and the services you're uh, able to provide to the seller. That's why we're encouraging you in many markets. You need to determine if these sellers are moving up or even moving down into new construction. You need to create a plan B for them if the, if the whole sale of their current property and the closing of their new one doesn't time out perfectly, which, by the way, it rarely will. You need to figure out a way. Maybe you can get some flexibility on the uh, on the buy it end. Maybe the builder will give them some breathing room. Probably not if their house doesn't sell on time. You know, you guys got to be thinking out of the box so that you can be part of this real estate recovery. You can be part of this real estate boom. Don't just be so rigid in how you go about offering your services. Do what's best for the sellers. And in many cases, that's going to require you to expand the, I think, the services that you provide. But really what we're talking about here is the knowledge that you have and how to solve the problems that they're going to be experiencing as they want to list and sell real estate. This is the reason that you get paid so much on these transactions, guys, right. because you know how to solve their problems. You are a problem solver at the end of the day. And it's an honor to be so. I mean, to be a realtor in a market like this, where we're at the very beginning stages of a new real estate boom. Guys, come on. This is the very definition of being in the right place at the right time. So embrace it. Make the most of it. And it all starts with what is going on between your ears and your ability to be of service to these sellers and, of course, the buyers. But our primary focus is teaching all of you guys to be listing agents. Being buyer's agents does not require that much skill, now does it? Becoming a listing agent is where the power and control of the marketplace is, is where you can make the biggest difference. So on behalf of Julia and myself, thank you for listening today. And remember, tune in tomorrow. By the way, did you guys listen to the Steve Brown interview we did last week, the president of the National Association of Realtors? Did you listen to the interview we did with Louise Ortiz from, uh, what is it, Million Dollar Listing New York? Did you listen to the other interviews we did last week? Did you listen to the ones we did the previous week? Go back and listen to the past radio shows. We've got a lot of, I think, really cool stuff um, that is not found anyplace else on any other uh, blogs, websites, or radio shows. So go back and happily consume that information. In the meantime, if there's anything we can do for you, of course, go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. And everyone, have a fantastic Cinco de Mayo! This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.